Hello and welcome to the Vorthos Cast. I'm Jay Anelli, and I have new co-hosts. I'm Andrew Weissel, and I also have new co-hosts. I'm Brian Dawes, and I have issues starting the podcast. <laughs> I'm Ashley Barrow, and I am the new co-host. Welcome, you two. If people wanted to find you online, where would they do that? I can be found at MTG Lord of Leaves on Twitter. And you can find me on Tumblr at Chandra-Nalar, and you can find me on Twitter at Jaya underscore Ballard. You know, that confused the heck out of me for the longest time, because I knew you from Tumblr, but then I didn't realize that you were Jaya Ballard on Twitter for, like, an embarrassingly long time, I think is the best way to put it. And then to throw you for another loop that I have a twin sister and everyone thinks that we are the same person. Yeah, that threw me for a loop for a while, too. <laughs> so you two are brand new co-hosts for our show here. Why don't you talk about yourselves a little bit? Like, for instance, Brian, when did you start playing Magic? I started playing Magic somewhere around Invasion slash 7th edition area, but I really didn't start playing Magic for real until around Onslaught Block. Yeah, I've been playing for a while. I took a break after Ravnica, but I still managed to keep abreast for most of the story until I really took a plunge off after Ravnica block, and then I came back around RTR. And Ashley, when did you start? I actually started when I was in high school during Return to Ravnica block, so I still consider myself new, even though it's actually been a while now. It's like five years? It feels like it's been about a week. <laughs> Going back to Ravnica is really special for me because we just did Dominaria, you know, Magic's home. Well, Ravnica is my home because that's where I started. So I'm really honored to be on the podcast, especially for this story. And I hope that we have a really good time. Favorite guilds. Everyone knows at this point that I am a it fanatic. Andrew is a Simic Combine supporter. Simic for life! <laughs> <laughs> if Andrew could have, like crab claws in real life i'm not sure he could pass that up brian what about you it changes from day to day some days i'm super big into selesnia other days i'm big on the boros guild some days i'm work thawing people up <laughs> it's that whole nia wedge what are your favorites ashley definitely my favorite is rakdos but i also love uh on the other end of the spectrum i love azorius and i also love gruel i'm all over the place <laughs> No, it's all right. It's all right. I mean, I, I do like more than just the is it, but also I like explosions and ex <laughs> experiments. So moving on to listener questions. This week, we have two questions from the same person that we've been saving until we had a chance to talk about Ravnica. These questions both come from Wolfiestar123 on Twitter. The first question is, do you think there were or are other progenitors of the guilds and are they planeswalkers? like how Azor is the creator of the Guild Pact and the Azorius. The answer to that, in my opinion, and I'll let the others answer, is probably not. We've met all but two of them. There was uh, like fan theories that were really popular that maybe Niv-Mizzet was a Planeswalker because he disappears at the beginning of Dissension and you never see him again, and they're really cagey on where he disappeared to. But for the most part, no. But what do you all think? Do you think any of the other Peroons might have been Planeswalkers? Wait, wait, wait. you pronounce it Peroons? Oh, God. How do you, how do you pronounce it? Perrin? Perrins? Perrins? <laughs> how do we pronounce everything differently? 
<laughs> this isn't even a is it pronounced correctly or not thing. It's just that any time a magic original word comes up, the two of us always pronounce it differently. Well, you know what it is? In my head, I always pronounce it a specific way so that I remember how to spell it. So if I pronounced it parents in my head, I might misspell it a lot more. That's probably why it happened. And also, I've literally never had to say it aloud until now. Uh, you know, I put I put sort of the parents down and I'd go sort of the... Well, if we say parents, which is how I say it, you might think it's the girl's parents. <laughs> well, that's what they are, though. <laughs> that's, that's fair. All right, Brian, what about you? How do you pronounce them? I say it parents as well. Oh, this is just me being awful. Okay. <laughs> All right, you're outvoted. It's parents. Are any of the parents planeswalkers? I don't think so. Razia can't be a planeswalker, much to the chagrin of certain angel fans, just because magic treats angels as constructs, so they don't have souls, so they can't be planeswalkers. And the rest of them, like, I'm thinking, obviously Azor is... You have the Ghost Council. I mean, I guess one of them could have been, but that's highly improbable. If it was a Planeswalker, especially back then, he wouldn't have died, so why have a Ghost Council at all? <laughs> that's a good point. Rakdos obviously isn't a Planeswalker, because, again, demons are kind of the same in the same vein as angels, for that matter. So I guess Sedek could have been, but he hasn't Planeswalked. He would be doing crazy stuff all over the place. Even though it would be really interesting to have seen him, like, doing crazy stuff against Bolas, undermining him, having his plots go up against Bolas's plots, because, hey, they both like having some weird, circuitous plots that make no sense until they resolve, right? As Simic, we can do this systematically. The Azorius Perrin, Azor, was a planeswalker. We know Zanuck was the Deemer Perrin. And we know he wasn't a planeswalker because he has a creature card in Ravnica, and also he's a vampire that on Ravnica are undead, so they cannot hold a spark. We know that Rakdos is not a planeswalker because he has a creature card. We know that planeswalker is probably not one of the founding members of the Obsidant because, like Brian said, they are ghosts, and a planeswalker probably wouldn't have died and then decided to have their ghost stick around Ravnica. We know Niv-Mizzet is not a Planeswalker because he has a creature card. We know Sfogthir is probably not a Planeswalker because he also died on Ravnica and then became a zombie thing later. It's a whole thing. We know Razia is not a Planeswalker because she also had a creature card. So that leaves a couple open slots. Oh, we also know Motselesnia who has not had a creature card, but we know that they are not a planeswalker because they are defined as an elemental that lives within Vitugazi and speaks through dryads. Have we ever heard of an elemental planeswalker? No. So that leaves two left. There's, well, this is my turn to potentially butcher a magic name. Cesarum, the Gruel Paran? I have no arguments with it. Cesarum, yeah. <laughs> Who was a gigantic cyclops, right? Yes, as, as far as we know, yeah. As far as we know. They've never really been mentioned outside of the novels. I don't think they appear on any flavor text in the original set, and they don't appear on any art. So we assume they're not a Planeswalker, but I guess in theory they could be. And then there is Simic, who is the Simic Paran. We just know that that was that person's name. We don't know anything else about them, so in theory they could be a Planeswalker too. Actually, Cesarum, part of his corpse was used or Svothir, or however you say the Golgari's... Svogthir. Yeah. 
I'm going to mess that up. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm never going to say that right. Part of Scizorum's corpse was used in Svosgir's body, like when he was buried underneath the city. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Not a planeswalker, because he wouldn't have died on Ravnica. All right, then Ashley. Although, like y'all just said, there's reasons each specific one cannot be a planeswalker. I love that idea, and I think that as a what-if theory, it's really interesting and really charming. So I'm definitely going to be keeping that in the back of my mind to think about, just as a what-if theory, because I really like the theory, even if it's not true. We should add the asterisk here that pretty much anyone or anything can become a planeswalker if the writers decide that it would be important for the story. Like, we had no idea... Azor was a planeswalker until Ixalan. And I really like pushing the limits of people who can be planeswalkers. Like, you know, we say angels can't, we say demons can't, but we do have a demon planeswalker. I like I like the idea of pushing the limits in that way. Yeah, I have my own opinions about angels not being able to be planeswalkers that I will discuss at some other time. That's a topic for another day. Could you imagine if Niv Mizzet sparked the same way Bolas sparked when two other dragon planeswalkers show up on Ravnica. It's like, what the hell? Why can't I do this? And then he sparks in rage. Now I'm just thinking, like, what if the entire history of the multiverse is just built upon the backs of these super ancient dragons sparking one after another after learning of each other's existence and being mad about it? <laughs> just like every couple thousand years, a new dragon planeswalker sparks because they discover that they are not a planeswalker and someone else is. Yeah, because technically, <laughs> judging by the story, like, Bolas and Ugin had been alive for thousands or... Like 25,000 Yeah, years. like, they had been alive for a long time. Niv-Mizzet hasn't been alive as long, or I guess we don't know his exact age. We know he's ancient. He is at least 15,000 years old. We don't really know if he's older, but we do know that he's not an elder. And the fact that he doesn't know about any other planeswalkers because Ralzarek is actively trying to keep him from knowing about them. If he finds out, especially if Ralzarek is part of a conspiracy to keep the information away from him, I could see that being enough impetus if he has a spark to ignite it at that point. I'll also mention he probably knows that planeswalkers are a thing. He might not know about the mending, and he might not know who is a planeswalker today, and we'll get to why he probably knows about their existence already. And that kind of leads us into the next question here. So this is from Wolfiestar123 again, and this segues us nicely into our feature for today. I was just wondering how much history we really know about Ravnica, what it was like before the guilds or when big events happened. I'm glad you asked. Today we're going to have a bit of an abridged history of Ravnica, abridged because it has like an insane amount of history to it. I've written a lot on like detailed summaries of these stories and we'll share those later if you want to read more. And the books are also available in e-reader format. It's not a whole lot to read. It's three novels for the original Ravnica set and then the modern Ravnica set was three e-novellas so they were like each 80 pages. So it's really the length of like one novel. And then I usually count Agents of Artifice in there because most of it takes place on Ravnica, but it's not really a true Ravnica story in the sense that it affects the guilds and the whole plane. To start, all dates on Ravnica are given in either Al Concordant or Zal Concordant, AC or ZC. ZC is for everything after the Guild Pact was signed, AC is for everything before the Guild Pact was signed. Before the Guild Pact, 
Ravnica was plagued by beings from other worlds, which are planeswalkers, and the world was torn in a big war between factions of order and chaos. Sometime around 15,000 years ago, the last dragon egg on Ravnica hatched. The implication is that this was Niv-Mizzet, and that he basically killed all his competition after he was born. That sounds familiar. (laughs) But we don't know too much else about it. He is definitely worried about other dragons like him popping up, though, which might be important for a certain new Ravnica set coming out. So what happened is these planeswalkers started disappearing. They used to come and go as they pleased, and then they just started kind of going and not coming back. Until only one known planeswalker was left on Ravnica. And this feeds into what we were talking about a little bit earlier. Azor. And Andrew and I had been speaking about how maybe Azor created a planar barrier around Ravnica to get rid of all these other planeswalkers so that he could forge an agreement. The guilds, even as they stand now, it would take a being of like immense power to force them all to to come together and negotiate. And I feel like, at the time, Azor wanted to impose order, and the only way he could do that is if the Planeswalker patrons of these other armies disappeared. So he brought together the leaders of each of these ten factions, which, as far as we know, except for him, were not Planeswalkers, and forges the Magical Guild Pact, which assigned each of these ten factions essentially a civil role in society, governed how they interacted with each other, and the guildless, and... It seems like a great system, unless you're not a part of the guild, and we can talk a little bit more about that later. It's like the start of a D&D game. Everyone rolls for their character, and then that's what you're stuck with till the end of time. It definitely does a good job of keeping the status quo. The city itself is like, it's one large cityscape, but parts of it fall into disrepair and become more wild than others. And so it's almost like the outer districts are kind of always shifting. They're falling into disrepair and being rebuilt, and that'll be important later too. I'm going to skip ahead in history. We learn about a lot of, like, irrelevant details, but the first one that really matters is in 9000 ZC, so 9000 years after the Guild Pact was signed. That is about a thousand years ago. Svagthir, who is the parent of the Golgari Guild, is deposed by the Sisters of Stone Death. He's deposed by the Gorgons, and the non-humanoid members of the Golgari Guild, who for 9,000 years under Svagthir have been second-class citizens, essentially. This is important. They imprison him beneath his throne room, essentially, and steal his power for the next thousand years, more or less. When the Sisters of Stone Death take over, they completely turn things around. So where the elves and the humans used to be on top of the guild, Suddenly, the elves and the humans are the second-class citizens in the guild. And that'll matter for some of the politics later. And if that sounds familiar to you, that same plot point is what's happening with Vraska and Gerard in more recent times. If you don't study history, you're doomed to repeat it. So the next important event is much, much more recent. It's in 9943, so it's about 57 years before the Ravnica story proper starts. So a man named Mixel Zunik is partners with our hero, Agris Koss, who's the main character of the original Ravnica novels. 
Mixel accidentally kills a child in the line of duty when they're hunting a Rakdos blood witch, and it reminds him of his young daughter, who's just a young girl at the time, and he ends up killing himself in, in shame for it. Koss never reveals what actually happened to Mixel, but it affects both him and Mixel's daughter pretty deeply. So then we fast forward a little bit to 9965. A Izzet guild named Zomaj Hawk tests a new mana bomb in Uvara, which is a kind of a wild district that was purchased by the Karlov Patriarch. You will recognize this person as being Karlov of the Ghost Council. In secret, the bomb is designed to gather up all this energy that Zomaj intends to use decades down the line to reanimate these ancient dragon eggs they found buried beneath Udvara in what used to be Niv-Mizzet's old hunting range. This is also around the time Tesa Karlov is born, which is how we know the timelines, how it compares to everything else. The last important date before the original Ravnica that you should all know is in 9989. It is a Rakdos uprising. Now, there are a lot of these. The Rakdos get bored and they decide to go out and kill a whole bunch of people. This one was especially bad because it decimated the ranks of the Boros Wojeks, who are the essentially the police force of Ravnica. It was like it killed more than half of the existing Boros Wojek force. And Ten years later, in 9999, they are still working to replenish their ranks back to where they were before. It's my favorite Prince song, Party Like It's 9999. <laughs> it is a party in 9999. So that's when Ravnica City of Guilds takes place. In 9999, they are preparing for the Decamillennial, which is the 10,000 year anniversary of the Guild Pact. And this is when a lot of forces that have kept quiet for the last few millennia all come to a head. So the major players in this story are Agris Koss, who is a Wojek veteran. He is a genre-savvy old man. He is like over 100 at this point because humans on Ravnica live a bit longer because medical care there is really good if you're a member of the guild. And he is just kind of a hardened veteran who, after you know the death of his partner back in 9943, and after the Rakdos uprising and seeing so many of his buddies die, he's kind of just a grizzled, bitter old man at this point. There's also Pivlik, who is a Orzhov imp, and we'll learn more about him later, but he is a very interesting character because he is kind of an Orzhov hero. Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call him a hero, but definitely protagonist. <laughs> but he is a, a legitimate businessman who runs a amusement dining facility. It's dinner and a show, and you can sign up to be part of the show. What's funny is uh, there's a restaurant up top, and he runs a fighting pit underneath the restaurant where everyone can look in like a little coliseum, and they can watch the show, and you can sign up to go down and fight these undead hordes. Well, for the undead hordes, it's also dinner because they are signing up to eat whoever is signing up to go down and fight the undead hordes, and you get rewards if you actually win. The undead horde get to eat you, and if you beat the undead, you get whatever. That's who Pivlik is. That doesn't sound like a very legitimate business. It <laughs> sounds like it would be an awesome legendary land. Here's the thing, and that brings us to one of Ravnica's more interesting quirks, is that it isn't very just, and the law is basically only there to perpetuate the balance between the guilds 
And if you're not a member of the guild, tough luck. Basically, murder is legal on Ravnica as long as it doesn't interrupt guild business. So, like, you can't murder a guild person in cold blood without consequences. But you can murder a um, random guildless and basically not have any consequences. If you're not connected, you're, you're not getting justice, basically. And some Boros, like Agris, really try and get justice, but it's very hard on Ravnica. So then we have Feather, who is a penitent angel. Her wings have been bound for a reason we still don't know to this day, and she's been relegated to being a member of the Wojek rather than part of the Angelic Legion, or whatever you want to call it. And then we have Thon Zunik, who is the daughter of Kossa's old partner. She's a half-elf who's a member of the Selesnia Guild. She is one of the Selesnians who guards the roadways. She has a wolf companion that she rides into battle, but it's also her friend. That wolf's name is Birakazir, and it is Voha's grandson, if you remember Voha from the original Ravnica. He's got a very cool token. Tulsimir Wolfblood. Tulsimir Wolfblood, thank you. Does he have a token? Only on Magic Online. Digital token, right. It's a distinct difference, as far as Mike will tell you. <laughs> The last character I want to talk about is Gerard Vad Savo, who you know more recently as the Lich Lord ruler of the Golgari, but back here he is a Golgari bounty hunter whose sister, Savra, is the Matka of the Devkaran Elves, which I know that probably made no sense to you, but basically what you need to know is that his sister is the religious leader, basically tribal leader, of the Elves of the Golgari. What happens is Agris is partnered up with this new Wojek named Borka. Well, Borka had been on the force for a little while, but Borka was being trained to be his replacement. Agris, against his will, is being promoted. They are on patrol one day when Borka and a Luxodon that Thon was assigned to protect are killed in an explosion by this suicide goblin. Koss witnesses all of this, but is severely injured in the blast. Thon is saved at the last minute by Gerard, who had been dispatched by his sister to go and capture Bayul. We learn that this was all part of Savra's attempt at a coup. She's backed by Zadok and goes beneath the Gorgon's throne room and rescues Svagthir, the original Perrin of the Golgari, and basically casts a spell to make Svagthir her slave. Svagthir essentially can't be killed, so they just imprisoned him. She uses him to rally the Golgari behind her to challenge the Sisters of Stone Death, and she basically lets only one of them live. That one that lives is probably, unless there's some other Gorgons hiding out, is probably Vraska's mother, because the implication is that there are no other Gorgons besides the Sisters of Stone Death at this time. Well then, who is who's Vraska's father? That's a good question. <laughs> Maybe Gorgons are like Godzilla and they just create babies. Parthenogenesis. Parthenogenesis, thank you. Elsewhere, Gerard had saved Thawne and helps her recover, and quickly learns that Savra has dispatched killers to assassinate him because he was supposed to die in the blast. So when that doesn't work out, they leave to meet an informant friend of Gerard's. Agris wakes up in the hospital, haunted by Borka's ghost, who signed a Orzhov life insurance policy that lets him haunt an Avenger until they avenge his death, which is like the best kind of insurance policy, I think. 
Agris together with Feather, who has to follow him because she's been told to keep him in his room and to keep him from doing anything stupid. And she fails at the first one, so she <laughs> follows and protects him instead. They all converge on Pivlix, where they are thrown in the ring against this half-demon who was the trainer of the suicide goblin from earlier. Before they can learn anything of use, the whole place is attacked by Selesnian quiet men. They are these creepy, floating, like long-limbed, just super creepy things that belong to the Selesnian guild, and they're like couriers and things from the Selesnians. But what no one has realized is that Zadok had infiltrated them with people that he had killed and enslaved their ghosts, essentially. So these quiet men were working for Zadok, and in order to keep them from revealing his plan, all these quiet men attack at once. They all have to flee, so Feather, Fawn, Pivlik, and Agris, and Jarad all end up on this zeppelin that Pivlik just had stashed away on the roof for quick getaways, because he's awesome like that. And they all flee for Agris's police station. When they get to the headquarters, they find the autopsy of Bayul, the Selesnian Luxodon. They are unable to remove this green gem from Bayul. Thawne, when she approaches him, it falls off right for her and lands in her hand. This gem is a connection to the Conclave, and as soon as she gets it, this shapeshifter reveals itself. This is how crazy this is. Like, there's, there's all this weird stuff going on, and with the abridged version, I can't fully explain all the weird stuff that's happening. The shapeshifter kidnaps her because that gem is Savra's target. Savra's goal is to not only take over the Golgari, but take over the Selesnians too. And so she wants to connect to the Conclave and basically dominate them. When everyone else finally catches up at Vitugazi, the city tree, there's this whole scene where Safra basically wins. She cuts off Fawn's arm, takes the gem for herself, and the city tree grows sick and it reveals Matt Selesnia inside it. But as soon as she reveals Matt Selesnia, Zadik shows up at a freaking nowhere, snaps her neck, and starts feeding on Matt Selesnia for reasons, I guess? It's not really clear at the time. Power. <laughs> yeah, it definitely said he was trying to suck its power so he would be a lot stronger. It's a whole thing. Why he had to do it publicly, I don't know. Gerard has the ability to control insects as one of his powers, and these shapeshifters are made up of these worm-like things that he's able to affect. While the shapeshifters are transforming, they're weak to Gerard's powers, and so he turns one of the shapeshifters against Zadok, which basically like strips the flesh away and he looks really skeletal, and it weakens him enough that Koss is able to walk up and just basically slap magic handcuffs on him, and he's whisked away and basically executed in secret. We learn after all of this happened that Feather had went to get them help from the Boros Legion, but finds that the angels have disappeared along with their giant skyship Parhelion, and Feather, not knowing what else to do, goes after them to find them to see where they went. Moving ahead 13 years in 1012, we have the story of Guild Pact. Koss is retired after arresting the Demir Perrin, because, I mean, you've peaked at that point. He's also kind of done. He retires to Idvara and works with Pivlik out there, in a new bar. He's basically the head bouncer for Pivlik's bar. Udvara, that region I mentioned earlier, is owned by the Karlov Patriarch, who takes his favorite niece, 
Tessa and returns there with her, makes her sell her business and all this other stuff. She's not happy to go to Udvara to be its governess. But when the patriarch says jump, you say how high. The patriarch is murdered along the way, however, by what seems to be a gruel attack and ascends as a ghost to join the ghost council. A goblin named Crix, who is a it messenger, is lost, and Tesa sends Koss and Pivlik out into the wastelands around Udvara to find her. Tesa learns that her uncle, the Karlov Patriarch, set her up, and she was the one who actually murdered him, and he has been essentially mind-controlling her at periods that she thought was like an illness to get her to do whatever he wants. He got tired of waiting for a seat on the ghost council, so he had his favorite niece murder him. Because you can't kill yourself and get on, to, on there. You have to die or be murdered. Tessa starts to set up a mini-guild pact at Uvara, because she learns from her uncle about Zomaj Hawk's plan out at a place called the Cauldron. She sets up this mini-guild pact with the representative of the guilds who are all there in this little colony there, and begins to form this little army to assault Zomaj before he can resurrect the ancient dragons that he found. She arrives at the cauldron with a small army just after Koss, Pivlik, and Crix arrive there. Turns out Crix, the messenger, has exactly what Zomaj needs in order to resurrect the dragons. She has this message written on her. Zomaj would erase his own mind so that Niv-Mizzet wouldn't know what he's up to and would use the messenger to come and remind him. So he begins the spell to resurrect these dragons Tessa is well-schooled enough that she also knows the draconic script that he's using, and the two of them each gain control of one of these three dragon eggs. The third one gets crushed as this army and costs destroy the facility. So these two dragons are fighting out in the middle of the open here. They're getting smarter and smarter. They don't like being enslaved. Tessa manages to severely wound Hawks and kill kill him. But hers is starting to break free of her control, and so Koss shows up with Crix driving this enormous a flame pod, I think is what it's called. Basically, you, you slap a giant rocket onto the back of a glass sphere or a steel sphere and fly it through the sky. He arrives, crashes it into the dragon, saves the day and kills it, but he is critically wounded afterwards and actually passes away right as Feather reappears from what's called the schism, which is this giant weird rip in the sky, almost like a time rift, that formed when that mana bomb was detonated. Don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> this is a very trippy story. So the dissension story picks up basically right where that ends. Everyone thinks it's over, the dragons are dead, they've cleaned up the two dragon bodies outside, but they did not clean up the dragon body inside the cauldron that was crushed by the facility. These beings called Nephilim, which the gruel in the area consider to be these ancient gods, they begin to feed on the dragon corpse, and it causes them to grow exponentially to the point where they're able to defeat Niv-Mizzet, and he runs away after only being able to kill like one or two of them. There's still like a half dozen more that he can't stop. They should have been legendary. <laughs> Feather turns herself in to the Azorius, the fastest way to let everyone know what she's experienced is to testify in court. She discovers that Koss, his spirit, has been trapped by the Azorius as part of his contract as a Wojek to be a spectral guard for Prav, which is the Senate house for the Azorius. The Parhelion, which is the Angel's Big Sky Ship, emerges from the schism behind Feather, 
and proceeds to be set directly on a collision course with Prov. It eventually crashes, and afterwards, there are only a few people left. There's the Grand Arbiter Augustine IV, there's Koss, and a few other people like Tessa. Koss is given his own identity again. As a spectral guard, he was just kind of mindless. He's given his own identity again and sent on a mission to investigate this clue that they found that the Simic leader, Momir Vig, is working with what appeared to be the corpse of Savra, who, as you know, her neck was snapped, and the ghost of Zadok. He's led on essentially what is a wild goose chase, where he discovers that Svogthir has taken over Savra's body and is working with Momir Vig and Zadok's ghost to create Experiment Kraj. So the Simic, to understand what's going on with Experiment Kraj, they have these inventions called cytoplasts, which I'll let Andrew talk to you about. So the Simic are the genetic engineers of Ravnica. He invents these things called cytoplasts, which are just little hunks of jello that you can slap on things and it imbues them with new genetic traits. This was the whole graft mechanic and shifting plus one plus one counters around. Most of the guild is augmented with cytoplasts, and I believe it mentions that it's like a service that they can provide. I think it's a big medical thing that they do. Fawn, who lost her arm in Ravnica, has a cytoplast arm in Dissension. It's a trap! <laughs> it turns out that this was all kind of a cover for Momir Vig's grand vision of the ultimate life form, which is Kraj. This titanic ooze in the center of Novigen, which is the Simic Guildhall. Vig's idea is that if you take all this genetic material and spread it all around Ravnica and get all these people attached to the same gelatinous system, you can then reabsorb everything and assimilate it all into one super being. Which is what happens and kills almost the entire guild. Which is a good job on storytelling there. Getting rid of one of the most important <laughs> core identities of this world. But hey, the card is a flavor win. Oh, the card is awesome. <laughs> so Kraj rises out of the Simic Guild Hall with the whole structure of the building as a head. But now there's this gigantic evil ooze in the middle of Ravnica. Which, by the way, is being assaulted by these Nephilim left and right as well. So this is just another giant monster wreaking havoc on the city. It's just another Tuesday in Ravnica. <laughs> in addition to that, Rakdos has awoken as well and is out amongst the city destroying things. So what happened is, parallel to the rest of that story that was happening, Gerard and Fawn had a child in the intervening decade or so. They've since separated, and Gerard is alive, but the guild leader for the Golgari at the time. Their son, named after Fawn's father, their son is named Mick, he splits his time between his mother and his father, learning the ways of the Selesnia and the Golgari. He ends up getting kidnapped by a Rakdos crew to be used in a blood ritual to resurrect Rakdos. Not resurrect, but awaken Rakdos from his sleep. And because he is the blood of a guildmaster, his blood has the power to control Rakdos with the spell. He's kidnapped by a blood witch named Isolda, not to be confused with Lysolda, which is the card of a blood witch. I don't know why those two names don't sync up, but it's a symptom of the time on how divorced the cards and flavor was. I'm sure that was 
there's some interesting story there why they don't quite match up. Mick ends up in control of Rakdos because his parents interrupt the ritual. And so he is on like Rakdos's shoulder and they're seeing through each other's eyes and emerging from Rakdos's den. Gerard is killed buying time for Fawn and some of the other young Selesnian recruits she had with her to escape. Best dad. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he dies for his little boy. But the spell is broken, and Rakdos is freed from his control. Mick is rescued, and Rakdos comes into his own, very, very angry at being controlled, and right in front of him is Experiment Kraj. So there's just, like, these kaiju battles going on all over the city between these Nephilim and Rakdos and Kraj. In that time, Koss has realized he was set up. He goes back to Prav, and he realizes he was led on a wild goose chase because Zadok's plan wasn't to release Kraj. It turns out it was a distraction set up by the Grand Arbiter Augustin IV of the Azorius himself. Basically, the plan was Augustin, after executing Zadok, enslaved his soul. He created a ghost army in this spirit dimension called Agaram, where the angels, when they went out searching in the Parhelion, they were all killed by this ghost army and Zadok's shapeshifters, under the orders, presumably, of Augustin. Augustine essentially wanted to sow a whole lot of chaos so that he could create a new guild pact. The reason he could create a new guild pact is because when Koss arrested Zadok way back when, they actually broke the guild pact and no one realized it for like a decade. Everyone was just so wrapped up in their routines, no one but like the chief hieromancer, the Grand Arbiter himself, realized exactly what had happened the moment Koss arrested Zadok. It has something to do with the Demir's role and the fact that one of the guilds outed him by arresting him. It's this weird loophole that broke the guild's magic. It's all explained in greater detail in the book. This whole thing is very hard to explain <laughs> because there are so many little things like that. So in order to stop them and Zadok's ghost and all these other shapeshifters that killed all the angels, which are, by the way, still in the wreckage of the Parhelion, which crashed into Prav, Koss and his friends set the self-destruct and escape. Zadok's ghost and the Grand Arbiter are caught in the explosion, which levels Prav. Gerard was reanimated and became the Lich Lord we all know and love today, or, well, all of us but Vraska, I guess. Then in the epilogue, about two years later, Koss's ghost, which disincorporated after the explosion because the Azorius magic that was keeping him there disappeared, is brought back by Feather, who called in some favors, essentially. She is now the new Boros Guildmaster, and Koss is put in charge of Agarim, that ghost dimension, which has overlaid onto Ravnica itself. Worst friend ever. <laughs> and they need a ghost Wojek to patrol this new ghost territory. So that does it for the original Ravnica set. Even the abridged history has taken me, like, 30 minutes to talk about here. There's a lot going on there. Those books are a lot of fun. They're like crazy, but compelling at the same time. And if all of this sounded super confusing to you, it's a bit confusing reading the books too, but it's a fun ride to go on with Agris and the crew that we follow throughout those books. So that's all the pre-mending Ravnica history that is important to talk about. Next week, we'll cover all the post-mending stuff, which is going to be Agents of Artifice and then Return to Ravnica Block and a couple other stories after that. 
One thing that's important to note here is that these stories pose Niv-Mizzet as the only dragon, but in the card sets of the original Ravnica itself, there are other dragon cards. So what do you think the deal is with that? Yeah, I'm, I'm leaning on the discontinuity thing. Like we said, back then, the Magic Store wasn't really super merry to the book, so there's a good chance it was just, hey, Red needs dragons, so we're going to put some dragons in. Oh, wait, there aren't actually any dragons besides Niv-Mizzet. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. I also want to note, Carrie is the one who actually pointed this out to everyone, because everyone had assumed that there was this Planeswalker barrier that was associated with the Guild Pact, but the story of Dissension actually says that Planeswalkers stopped showing up before the Guild Pact went up. It doesn't seem like they're directly connected to one another, but then after the Guild Pact falls, you know, in post-mending times, Planeswalkers are obviously able to come and go, so at some point that barrier fell. Do you all think it's connected to the Guild Pact at all, or what do you think happened there? I personally would be surprised if it was Azor putting it up before he went about setting up the guild pact with the guilds just so he doesn't have any kind of outside interference. But considering how much it took for, well, I guess Firaz was able to do it without losing his spark. Because I was just thinking that maybe he wouldn't have been able to do it just because of how much power it took for him to fuel the immortal sun, but I guess that's keeping people in instead of keeping people out, so... The other thing that's a bit of discontinuity here is all the Boros Angels but Feather were killed before Dissension. When we have Return to Ravnica, there are suddenly more angels? Where did all these new angels come from? The fact that they were all killed but now there's more angels leads me to believe that they are clones of Feather herself. Now since Feather's wings were bound... That leads me to believe that perhaps one set of them became damaged and she did not want to pass that on to her clones. That's not something that has too much of an effect on a story, but it's something that I think about a lot. And the main point from that is that I believe that the modern angels are clones of Feather herself. Before you pointed that out, I actually had not noticed that there was a change in the number of wings of the Boros angels. But that's a very interesting point. Yeah, that is very interesting. I, I had no idea either. We see a lot of change between, in some of the guilds, we see quite a bit of change between the guilds, none more so than the Simic. That's next week. That's a good story, because how do you come back from your novel killing off a whole guild? <laughs> to be fair, this is, I think, is one of the best saves in magic world building history. So we should explain from a world building perspective that this was back during what we call the world hopping era. They hadn't experimented with a return to anywhere but Dominaria. And on Dominaria, all they did was constantly do apocalypses and then start over. So when they were doing these world hopping stories, they didn't put a whole lot of thought into how are you going to come back to this place? They did things like kill off an entire guild. And destroy the guild pact. Exactly. We talked before about how you know, we've got this new team a decade later who needs to create a new Ravnica set, but there are a lot of story problems with that. People want angels with the Boros, but all the angels are dead but one. People want the Simic, but the Simic are all gone. They had to come up with reasons, or not come up with reasons as is the case with the angels, but basically they had a pretty hard catch to make from the ending of Ravnica here, and we'll pick that up next time. 
let's move on to final thoughts. My final thought is, as always, Doretti, Kaladesh, when? Andrew? My final thought is, Kiora, whenever, anywhere. I just want to see her anywhere. <laughs> All right, Brian, last thoughts. Well, somebody, please get Amara Tandris a better card. <laughs> we'll talk about that next time, too. Yeah, that's one of the greatest shames of our generation. Ashley, final thoughts. My final thought is that Annie's right here and she says, hey. Hi, Annie. Annie is super cute and super fantastic, and she has a special message for all you listeners out there. It would make her very happy if you helped support the Vorthos cast by donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash thevorthoscast. Your donations keep the show running, keep us talking, keep you listening because you will actually have something to listen to. Everyone who donates to our Patreon gets access to our Discord community, where we have Vorthoses talking about all sorts of fun things. We're heading into a new set now, so this is going to be a very juicy time to get on board. As Guilds of Ravnica previews start rolling out, we're going to be talking about all the juicy flavor stuff, new and old, that connects with the new sets and pushes things in new directions. So if you want to get in on that community action, head over and donate now. We thank everyone who supports us already and everyone who listens to our show. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.